Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. Happy February. Happy post-election, all the good things. Kelly and I are so excited to introduce you to somebody that you are really going to be excited to get to know. Carly Halk, thank you so much for being with us today. And would you share a little bit about who you are in the world with our audience? Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Lara and Kelly. So I have been working as a learning architect and a leadership development consultant, a coach, facilitator, speaker, author. I wear lots of hats, but it's all in service of people and planet. And I have been serving companies like LinkedIn, Pixar, Cliff Bar, Genentech, Intuit, Asana, really in supporting them to create cultures that are thriving and are identifying ways to really, again, prioritize people and planet and have business be a platform for positive change in the world. So I absolutely love what I get to do at the world. That's amazing. I feel like uh, Kelly Stewart. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You guys are sharing a brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes my heart sing. Oh my gosh. So cleared up the mystery right away as to why you're here, Carly. And again, thank you so much for being here and for the work that you do in the world. Um, You know, our listeners can tell already that there is some serious alignment going on between the three of us. So you also have a book coming out in late February, which we're excited about. And that book is called Shine. And one of the things that you mention in your book really aligns with part of the mission here at Doing Good Business. You know, one of the things that we believe wholeheartedly is that doing good business is not only possible, it's profitable. And the guests that we bring on, we really want to show our listeners proof of concept, you know, hearing real life stories to show that you can do business, you can serve people, you can serve the planet. And I know that your book mentions nine of these conscious leaders who are doing just that. They're prioritizing people and planet while running successful businesses. Can you give us a little, a teaser, a proof of concept story that tells our listeners that this really is happening out there? Definitely. This is the story that I love sharing. And again, there's so many of them, but um, there is a leader that I highlight in the book. Her name is Rhea Singal. And we ironically just happened to meet at Dreamforce, which is this you know huge conference that Salesforce puts on every year. And Rhea had been identified as a speaker And I saw that she was going to be speaking. This was in 2018, Dreamforce of 2018. And I reached out to her after reading her story. And we met at that conference for the first time. And it was just um, such a beautiful 
communion, to, so to speak. And I just really felt like we were very much kindred spirits. And we had a conversation in this very busy conference and she had just flown in from India. So she was jet lagged. And I said, I'd really love to have you in, in my book. And she said, yes. And so over you know, the period of a few years, I really got to know her. And so just to share a little bit about her story, she was living in India. She had just moved there. And at the time, I believe she was 26, 27. And she was seeing the horrendous trash uh, that was happening in India. And just, you know, there, there was no waste segregation system. So, you know, think about all the people in India, the millions and billions of people that are living there and just kind of throwing trash not even in necessarily a landfill. And she was seeing at that time that there was this trend for eating organic, but the way that they were actually taking care of the planet and what they were eating on just wasn't environmentally friendly. So she decided that she didn't want to live like this and she wanted to make it better. And she didn't have any background in compostables, but she started India's first compostable tableware company because she decided she wanted to be the change and no one gave her permission. She figured it out. And over time, one of her largest clients ended up being Indian railways, which basically serves the entire country of India with transportation from trains. And at the time that she was having conversations with, with them, they were serving probably a million customers a day and they were feeding them. And all of the things that they were actually eating were just being thrown away. They, they were plastic. You know, they were lots of different um, ways of serving food. And she was able to turn that around and get them to use her product, which can be completely biodegradable within 90 days. There's no harmful substances that go back into the earth. And I just think that's absolutely incredible. Like, think about it, a million people yeah. a day that are that trash is not going back into the earth. The microplastics are not going into our water, into our soil. It's completely being composted. So she's been given lots of awards <laughs> since then. <laughs> As you should. Yes. And in fact, she's going to be on a upcoming virtual event that I'll be hosting and I can talk to you more about that soon. So people will get a chance to listen to her live time. She's also the very first interview that I interviewed on my podcast. It's amazing. I mean, we hear stories like that, but we never tire of them, of people who are just called in some way. And is in the work that you do, Carly, and this is Kelly, sorry, Laura and I sound alike sometimes, but in the work that you do, do you find things that like commonalities amongst people who say, I'm going to do it differently and without, in her case, without any help or it sounds like real support in making that happen. I do. I hear it a lot. And in fact, it's, it's actually wanting me to share a quote. This is another leader that I highlight in the book and many people probably know who he is. And I just spoke of him a little while ago, but Mark Benioff is the co-founder and CEO of Salesforce. And he's also a leader that I speak to in the book. And this is a quote directly from Mark. We are part of an integrated holistic system 
which is the global economy. And so Salesforce strongly believes that companies and CEOs have to be activists. As a CEO, if you're not doing that in today's world, you're making a mistake. And what he means by being an activist is really showing up for the causes that you care about, with not just with words, but with action. I do believe that this is something that is going to be gaining more and more momentum, especially now that we have such a different um, community of leaders mm -hmm. in the United States as of today. Right. So inspiring. And I love that we're talking on the day after the inauguration. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> but I, I think, again, that's, that's so important because when I think about this shift, right, um, for so long, business leaders have been rewarded for their reductive strategies, you know, or what they cut. And in many ways, I think, you know, when I've talked about this or I hear others talk about it, there are people who take that message and think I have to stop everything that I'm doing today and do it all differently tomorrow. And I think that in some ways that seems one, like a bridge too far or two, they question it because they're like, well, these things help me be successful and build the company that I have today. And I'm not talking that they're in companies that are doing egregious things, right? But maybe not the over and above things that we come to to find when we talk to people who are doing new and different and better things for the planet and for people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like with that mindset, right, of how do you help people understand that in challenging times, especially some companies, but not all companies could rethink about instead of cutting and using some of these reductive strategies like layoffs or cutting back on benefits, what could they be considering or reconsidering to add to their organization that would maybe be um, a short-term pain for a long-term gain? Mm -hmm. One way to think about it. Are you, are you seeing that kind of shift with people? I, I do. Um, and I think, you know, some of that is, it's interesting because I think there's, there's two pieces. One is that there are leaders that are innately already kind of wanting to be a force for good, right? Like that's an intrinsic motivation that they have and they're going to do it no matter what. And then you have other leaders who don't have that same level of consciousness, but their company culture is holding them accountable and saying, uh, no, actually mm. what you just said was racist or right. this isn't actually supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in fact, I'll even just speak to Brian Armstrong. He's not a leader in my book, but I don't know if you heard about, you know, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of leaders that have been called out in certain ways because, and this kind of goes into like, we can call people in, which is ideal. And we want to really encourage them to make a change. But if you are calling people in leaders, you know, your fellow team members, because they have just, consciously or unconsciously excluded someone in their language or their action, but they're not listening and there's no, you know, desire to repair, to make amends, to change, then mm -hmm. I think you do have to call them out. And so uh, Brian Armstrong is the CEO of Bitcoin and he okay. had some uh, ways that he was dealing with 
the George Floyd murder and mm -hmm. all of the brutalities of black, black and brown people that we're not working for a lot of the black and brown people that were working for his company. And there was this huge uprising. And now he's really had to shift his ways. And, and there's a lot of transparency now in their culture and prioritizing, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity. And so, you know, and he's given a lot of public apologies, but he just wasn't there yet. Right. You know, and, and good for him for getting on board. So there's, mm -hmm. there's an example like that. And then going back to what you were saying, you know, these reduction strategies, I, I think we're going to just be seeing a lot more transparency in mm -hmm. how leaders are choosing to, one, commit to certain actions that align with the sustainable development goals. And I speak a lot about right how to do that in my book. And Mark Benioff, in fact, in his um, last book, Trailblazer, also spoke to that. And there's also going to be a lot more transparency around the diversity numbers and how we're leveling the gender pay gap. And I, I just think this is, this is the first real year of having a lot more processes of transparency and accountability that that we're really showcasing in, um, in the culture, but then actually to our customers. Because if companies aren't showing up and really supporting social and environmental causes, I think customers mm -hmm. are not going to want to continue to buy and support those companies. Absolutely. And Laura can speak to this, but I, I don't think employees are going to want to work with them either. No, no. And that's mm -hmm. been shown especially in the Gen Z and millennial population. And I, I highlight this in my book, but there's a lot of research that says they're, they'll be willing to walk. Like right. they would take a pay cut to work for a more socially and environmentally just company mm -hmm. than one that is not. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kelly and I have talked about this on the podcast and just privately, like just as a consumer, I mean, over the years, my buying habits have completely changed, you know, to support exactly what you said, Carly, to, you know, I look right. at it as voting with my dollar, you know, yeah, where do I was I just going to say my... that. Yeah. 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 Buying is voting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like what, you know, and I had this conversation earlier in, well, in 2020 at some point. Um, and I just said, you know, look, our, our values aren't aligned. It doesn't mean that you need to change. It doesn't mean that I need to change, but it does mean that I'm not going to support your values with my dollar anymore. And that's, you know, so, so long farewell. Yep. Um, and I think that's happening more and more. And Carly, you'd mentioned <laughs> examples on both sides of the equity and inclusion coin. Um, and, you know, we, we've, it's pretty obvious that 2020 made, I'm not going to say everyone because that's still not true, but it made significantly more people sit up and pay attention to equity and inclusion, to, you know, mm -hmm. the, the mistreatment, the, the inequities of um, black and brown people, particularly in the U S and I'm wondering, do you have an example of a leader that was doing it well before 2020? Right. Because I think there's so many public stories calling in, calling out, um, you know, all of those things that leaders have, have been experiencing. And, and again, better late than never. I want to support progress in, you know, in all of its forms. But I'm wondering if there's somebody that you've seen that's a great example of this that didn't just start 10 minutes ago. 
I do. And I've mentioned him a little bit, but I just happen to know Mark's story because I've been a big fan of him and Salesforce for quite a long time. So I am with you in that. I've coached some Salesforce folks as well, and they walk their talk at all levels that I have had the the pleasure of encountering. So Hmm. bring it on. (laughs) Ah, Beautiful, beautiful. Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. We were also talking before the recording got started on the concept of male allyship. And so this is a really strong example of that. And so basically back in 2015, when the then governor of Indiana, Mike Pence, who we know just was our vice president, he signed a bill that would allow companies to deny service to LGBTQIA and customers. And when Mark got alerted to this, and they they had some business, they had an office, a Salesforce office in Indiana, he took a really brave stand and he said, we are going to withdraw our company's investment in the state of Indiana Mm. unless you veto this bill. And Pence wasn't changing, you know, his course at all. And so what Mark did is he enlisted, I think something like 50 to a hundred tech CEOs to help him fight the bill. And then Indiana quickly revised the law. How amazing is that? (laughs) Right. Right. I did not know that story. And I honestly just got, got chills from that. I mean, that is, you know, you want to talk about walking your talk and it, look, it's very easy to say, you know, well, of course he could afford to do that at Salesforce and, you know, look at their stock performance and and all that kind of stuff, but it starts with who you are. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious, Carly, your take on that, you know, because there's plenty of leaders of big companies that aren't making a stance like that. Well, it, And this is a lot of what I share about in the book, but it's also been the body of work that I've been devoted to in the last decade. It's it's about shifting hearts and minds. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about how do we move from this more is better, like this capitalistic mindset, right, that we've had for so long, um, which supports the degradation of the environment, which supports more of this scarcity mindset versus we're all in this together. And this person is just like me, even though we have different shared lived experiences, they're living with less privilege. I'm living over here. But if, if we can start to recognize that we're all sharing this world and this resources and that we, there's actually enough for all of us, but we have to kind of restructure and rethink about it. And so going back to that, I, I think it has to do with the mindset. Yeah. And you know, meditation has been a really big part of my path. And it's the foundation that I bring into all the work that I do. Because if we don't have self-awareness and and meditation, I find, is one of the most effective tools to grow our self-awareness, which then allows us to have more self-management. You know, we have more other awareness. We have more resilience. We can actually lead ourselves and then others with more love, with more compassion, with a curiosity, with a seeking positive intent. Like it all, you know, kind of unfolds from there. But if 
if our mindset is, you know, this person is against me, or this is never going to change, or, you know, whatever story, whatever narrative we're holding on to, which is likely not true, and we're not willing to grow our mindset to something different, to really wanting to understand versus thinking we have it all figured out, then we're not in the moment. We're not able to respond to what is needed in the moment. And when you think about 2020 and the pandemic, the companies that have survived and the leaders that have really been able to be more vulnerable hold the emotional labor and burden of their team members and of their culture. I would imagine that those are the leaders that have really been able to shift their mindset. They've been able to dig deeper. They've been able to just be in more of a state of surrender and moment to moment. How do I need to show up right now? And Mark, that ego. Yeah, and Mark has had a meditation practice for a very long time and was heavily influenced by Thich Nhat Hanh as well. Mm-hmm. And not that meditation is the only doorway through, but I really think it comes back again to the right mindset, the right heart set. And in some ways, like really developing a certain practice Mm -hmm. that you can come back to every day to stay in alignment. Like when you notice, oh, I just got really impatient there. I just got really reactive. Or, wow, I was leading from fear right then. Mm. Like really checking and taking responsibility for your actions, for your yeah. thoughts, for how you're relating to the other. And how do I show up better? Uh, we couldn't agree more. Laura and I just um, had done an episode, just the two of us. Uh, we did a kind of like a bonus episode, and we were talking about the difference between responsibility, as we all think about it, and our response ability mm-hmm. with, with an mm-hmm. A, you know, two words. And I think that that plays into what you're saying there because it's both Laura's favorite statement and right. Mm -hmm. So it's the and statement of both mindset and heart. And I think, you know, for our listeners, especially we're always trying to connect the dots for them between doing good business and some of the results that they expect to see, you know, that they, that they're accountable for every day in their organizations as a lot of them are trying to shift and evolve toward uh, more of this conscious leadership and triple bottom line approach. So could you talk about some of the results you're, you're working with people who are becoming more conscious leaders. What are some of the results that they're seeing? And I know you have some of this on your website, so people can check that out on the um, developing people page, but can you talk about some of the numbers? Maybe that will help them to start, (laughs) take those first steps towards shifting their own mindset around some of this, reduce some of that fear of, of letting go. Well, well, this this is just more of like a landmark study, which I'll just, you know, I'll just share. Um, and then I can go into some of the research that I have found and some of the initiatives and programs that I have designed and then facilitated for companies. But basically, there was this hefty study in 2015 by the Campbell Soup Company and Verizon, and they measured the benefits of environmental, social, and governance programs within business. And then you can check it out. It's called Project ROI, 
defining the competitive and financial advantages of corporate responsibility and sustainability. And it was conducted by the Industrial Organization Sustainability in Babson College. And it found that the highest drivers of return on investment for any company are providing high quality products and services and effective CSR practices that augment and boost business performance delivering a higher return on investment than similar companies without such strategies. Mm-hmm. So essentially effective CSR can increase the market value of a company by four to 6%. Right. Well, there's a nice powerful statement to share with everyone <laughs> and you can feel good about it. <laughs> right. Right. But regarding some of the statistics that you were talking about that are on my website. So I have really worked a lot with leaders and managers and some of the stats that you're speaking to are based on a inclusive manager development program that I developed and facilitated and then really measured over a year. And so some of the things that we saw over time was an increase in resilience, increase in psychological safety, increase in emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion. And I have a background as a researcher and I really wanna make sure that I'm understanding the baseline of where I'm meeting people and then really identifying what are the outcomes that we wanna see. You know, what what does success look like for this team, for this company? And you're probably familiar with the with the study from Google's Project Aristotle and MIT, which was really looking at what is the number one indicator of high performing teams and thus some of the most successful companies. And they found that one of the biggest qualities that supported teams to make mistakes, but then to course correct and be successful was psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of the things that I am always measuring for, because if the team does not feel safe to share their thoughts, their views, their whole self, so to speak, their lived experiences in a way that they don't feel like they're going to be punished, they're not going to be bullied, there's not going to be negative consequences, then they're not going to be able to share their greatest gifts. And they won't be innovative. They won't be creative. It's important that we, we fail. We learn mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. We uh, make mistakes. And then we course correct and we come together. And if there isn't safety, then we don't feel like we can actually talk about those things or even ask questions and say, you know what, I don't know the answer to this. Right. And so I think that brings us back to having a sense of humility and vulnerability and always being willing to learn and grow. Absolutely. In fact, one of the ways I like to think about that is it's not my expression, but I heard it from someone else is learning forward. Right. So there's this mm-hmm. implication that the learning is, whoops, I fell down a, you know, and I got to get back up again. I'm going to learn, but I fell forward. Mm-hmm. And I really like that just from a, you know, a, a power of the power of words mindset, right? And that visual image that that creates, you know, as opposed to failing fast, which I think most people use, but I'm not sure how well the brain receives that message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, and I, I like to think of leaders as learners. And I, you know, one of my greatest values for myself is learning growth and development. So I'm always trying to up level my skill sets. And I'm also meeting myself where I'm at, right? Like, I've been teaching at Stanford for eight years. And so I can have a pretty high bar for myself at times. And I'm learning to maybe not always put on my cape and think I'm right. superwoman. Because it's not. Uh-huh. True. And so kind of, I was just going to say, welcome to our club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we keep you here. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I think it's acknowledging, okay, I'm not a superhuman and recognizing what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, but then also being willing to learn and grow. And so, you know, again, I, I'm speaking to the book because you're asking so many questions, but I really think of the book as, one, it's, it's 10 years of the body of work that I've utilized with lots of leaders and companies and the students that I've had the privilege to serve at Stanford and at various business schools. And the qualities that I see that we can all grow, we can all deepen to be conscious and inclusive leaders that are really prioritizing people and planets so that we're creating a workplace in a world that works for everyone, but where we're also living in harmony with the planet. Because as we were talking about before the call, I was sharing that I recently moved from California to North Carolina. And a big impetus for that was because of the fires and the lack of water and living through that for the last five years. And when there's, you can't go outside, there's not clean air. Um, We don't have clean water in so many parts of our world because of the enormous amount of plastics and the microplastics that are unfortunately in all of our bodies as a result of that in most of what we're eating and the animals that are eating the soil and drinking the water. And then we have this huge, um, you know, trajectory of monocropping where we've really depleted our soil's health. I mean, we have a lot of systems and structures that are not working that we need to shift so that we are able to actually all thrive. And it is possible. It's just going to take all of us and, and some major shifts. I keep saying shifts, but it's true. We are here for the shifts. <laughs> it is true. I just um, was listening to a webinar last week from Sustainable Brands, and they had some panelists on talking about regenerative agriculture, mm. um, but also bringing that into other areas like regenerative human resources, right? So this, oh, I love but the overarching idea of it being regenerative, and it was very, mm. um, I'll just say comforting, because it was comforting and inspiring to know that large organizations are thinking about this already. You know, they're, they're going toward that. So um, now it's even you know, carbon positive isn't good enough, they're going to regenerate. And I just love that. So that that brings me some hope when we think about these things, when sometimes it can seem a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Well, burnout is not going to get us there, right? True right, story. right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Carly, thank you. I mean, first and foremost, just thank you for the work that you're doing and the way that you are sharing it with the world. Um, you know, I know Kelly and I really we want people to understand that all of this is happening. You know, it's easy it, with the news cycle and if it bleeds, it leads to just feel 
hopeless at times, you know, and I know many of us hit that point in, in 2020 and, and of course in, in life in general, but we really want to bring, you know, some good business to the world and, and you're doing that and your clients are doing it. So thank you. And I'd love to just ask you what you're excited about. Of course, your book in, in a few weeks. And I know that you've got some things in, in flux as we're recording this. And as these events become finalized, we will include them in uh, the show notes or on the Doing Good Business LinkedIn page as Carly shares them with us. But what are you excited about as, as we step into this new year and new leadership in the U.S.? What, what is bringing you excitement? Well, I mean, you, you just kind of nailed it. I, I think the last several years, um, I, and that was the impetus for writing the book, you know, I've definitely felt this cloud, this, this darkness that we've been trying to find the light through. And today, the day after the inauguration, and even when, when Biden was chosen, which I was so wanting, as many of us were, mm-hmm. there's like this sense of greater inspiration of what we can build and create together. And I just feel so excited about what's possible. So just to start with that, and yes, my, my book is something I feel very excited about. I've been working um, very hard on it for the last three and a half years, and it'll be out on February 23rd, 2021. I hope that it will serve everyone in the best of possible ways to just really acknowledge that they are a leader as well. Like you don't have to have the title. You don't have to be given permission to lead. You can just say, you know, this is a thing I really care about and I'm going to take action on it and I'm going to lead. And that's what I'm hoping that it ignites. It ignites the, the leader, the change maker in all of us to really bring our unique light and gifts in the best possible service of the world. And as a result of that, I have four events that I'm putting together. There'll be one a month. And you can find all of this information if you subscribe to my newsletter, which is leadfromlight.com. So you'll learn more about the book and how to be a book ambassador if you choose to do that. And there'll be lots of resources and free gifts and a way to really kind of stay connected to the community, but then also to be able to really um, participate in some of these events like a panel on male allyship and women allyship and intersectionality, how to be a climate optimist how to be a conscious and inclusive leader. Yay. Yay. Can't ask for more than that. That's I'm right. So excited. <laughs> yeah. We we're just, we're so excited and, you know, so happy to have this time with you and so happy to share all of your work with, um, with our listeners, Carly. So thank you again for being with us today. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to you all and, and share my love. And I'm just so excited that we're all, in this together and bringing this forward in our own unique ways. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. 
The Doing Good Business Podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.